0: Hey, welcome to the Extra Podcast. My name is Daniel Markin. I'm joined around the table by Jeff Bucknam. Hello, and our Christmas friend. <laughs>
1: <laughs> wow, Johnny the Elf. <laughs> I've, I don't think I've ever been called an elf before. Leprechaun a couple of times. Really? you have yeah. a bit
2: too tall for. John,
1: Jonathan uh, Giesbrecht? Yes, Giesbrecht. I'm a little too tall. I, the I feel like I'm the Worship pastor here at Northview. Although I'm not that tall. I don't, How tall are you, Jonathan? Well, it depends. I write six feet. How heavy are you, Jonathan? Well, that's another topic that's a little more hair. sensitive Ginger. And your That's eyes? a lot. I, I don't know. They actually change depending on how long on the shirt you get a sunburn. How much can you weight lift? <sighs> um, what's your bench? Bench. The bar. What's um, your squat? Uh,
0: <laughs> Maybe <laughs> your, my body your, weight. What's your hang clean? <laughs> I, my what? Your hang clean. It's really complicated and boring. We don't hang need to talk about clean? that. Clean. It's a kind of weightlifting.
1: Oh.
2: Jeff, did you ever do weightlifting? I did for a little while in my life. Uh, yeah? yeah, it's kind of kind of gross. Uh, when I was in my, in high school, I started to uh, lift weights, but it gave me an inordinate amount of acne.
1: Are you serious? Yeah, <laughs> not not on my
2: face so much as my back mm, okay. because I was doing yeah. a lot of uh, a lot of bench pressing and that kind of stuff. And mm. for whatever reason, I just had this like it was horrible. I couldn't yep. even sit down and put my back up against things because I had these. All sorts of things back on my knee. back. It was horrible. Mm. So I stopped and it went away. <laughs> I was like, oh, this is way better. See,
1: I started weightlifting in high school as well because I was probably in grade 10 or 11. I was probably almost six feet tall, which is I am mm-hmm. what I am now. A buck mm-hmm. 25 soaking wet. Maybe. Really? Maybe. maybe. Probably closer to 115. Wow. Yeah. And by the time I graduated, I was probably around 140. Did, uh, did parents- Which was huge. That's a huge increase. You and your wife wear the same pants? Now? No. She's,
0: Jonathan, you got a nice new suit, a nice slim looking suit. I there, thought, I saw. Oh my word! You were wearing that on the weekend in the Christmas production. I was. What color was that
2: suit, it's Jonathan? Blue. It's, it's blue. It's kind of a Willy Wonka blue, though, it was, isn't it? Well, see, it matched this your is the, eyes, Jonathan.
1: I, I'm I'm not, I'm not that fashionable. I was um I was actually I, confession time. I was uh, I was a. Groomsman in a, my cousin's wedding and mm. he said, this is the suit we're going for. And I looked at it and I was like, are you kidding me? My is the same suit that you just, yeah, so you yeah, had yeah. to buy this suit I bought for the, the suit wedding. and I was like, I'm not just going to wear it once. I bought a suit. I'm going to wear it twice. So I wore it to the Christmas banquet that our Northview staff had, which was the Friday before the kids' production. Mm-hmm. And Dwight and Adriana saw it and they said, when you do your air guitar thing, you need to wear the blue suit. Nice. I was like, are you kidding me? I didn't wear
2: the jacket. Yeah, but you had the jacket on when you showed up to the church,
0: I know. and yeah. they were
1: like, "You need to wear the jacket." And I was like, "Who does that?" Who? No one
0: tells Jonathan Geesbrecht what to do. I on am Jonathan an, art- I'm an stage. artist, absolutely. You can't
1: uh, don't don't squash the artistry. One hundred percent. You can't do that. All
0: right. Speaking of, it's great art, to have you here, though.
2: I oh, just thanks. want to be the first one to say it's nice to one? have you for your for your Christmas. Uh, Cheer. Greg Harris decided to take the week off before Christmas because you know it's not a very busy time of the year for the for pastors. No,
1: we don't do anything.
2: We're kidding. It's actually very busy, but apparently Greg
0: decided that he'd take time off anyway. Yeah, who approved that? Uh, I don't know. Jonathan, you're an artist, and we were talking about art. And mm. before this program, we what? Uh, <laughs> Keep going. You're doing great. Before we began the the audio program that you are now listening to, we uh, Jeff brought up underrated Christmas films. Mm. And what is the most underrated Christmas movie in your fr- in your guys' opinion? When you go home, and you lie, you lie your pillow at, on your when you lie your head on your pillow at night, what do you think about when you when you think this is the most underrated Christmas movie, Lord of the Rings, <laughs> Did we just
1: let's um, not we.
2: My answer to that question, okay. There's a movie that I really like, a Christmas movie that we watch all the time. It's called uh, it's called um, A Family Man. It's got a, It's gotta it's classic Nick Cage film <laughs> it actually does have Nick C- Nicholas Cage in it it is the only I'm trying to remember if, the, if there's another Nick Cage film that I've seen that I actually like I don't you, I'm you not know sure. it's a Nick
0: Cage film because all the dialogues either whispered <laughs> or screamed!
2: <laughs> so Nicholas Cage is this uh, ah. is this it's it's kind of it's kind of it's a wonderful life backwards oh. so it's it's a, a, it's a terrible this guy who's living <laughs> Uh, it's it's a guy who's supposedly living the dream, mm-hmm. okay, of being a single guy in New York City who makes a ton of money, but he's given a glimpse by Don Cheadle, who's the uh, angel in this case. He's oh. given a glimpse of what his life would have been like had he chosen to instead uh, get married to his girlfriend, who he ended up leaving because he ins- he chose to go to London and take a job there. So if it's a counterfactual movie, so if he did that, he gets a glimpse of his life living in New Jersey with a couple of kids, and he pl- bowls and stuff. So it's and at Christmas time, or yeah, totally. It's all around Christmas time. The whole thing happens right around Christmas on Christmas Day, all that kind of stuff. Very, it's a very Thrilling. uplifting. No, it is. It's a very mm. uplifting movie, and the point of the film in the end is actually quite affirming. It's basically that, you know, all the money in the world doesn't replace one's family and, uh, you would trade all that money in for kids and all that kind of stuff. So as a father who has children, I feel affirmed when I watch the movie mm. and Nick Cage is in it. So underrated. These underrated. are underrated. Okay. No, underrated. No, for, I'm, I'm not saying I, this to me. I don't know. It, so it was that, the best movie great. ever. No, that's yeah. good. That counts. Okay. okay.
1: You're Jonathan. You go confession time again. Is that it? Is that I, a movie? No, no. This is confession. I love the Grinch. You mean the the live Jim Carrey one or the, the both, cartoon. but actually the cartoon. Yeah, well my that's, family tradition now is that's we not watched, underrated. Is it not underrated? No, it's, it's I don't know people. Char- what do do people watch Charlie it?
0: <laughs> Obviously not above Charlie Brown. Do people watch it though? Okay, my
2: most underrated football team, the Patriots. <laughs> <laughs> the, okay, <laughs> do most, people watch it? I don't know. know if anyone else likes the Warriors in basketball, but I, I, I just, do.
1: I don't, I don't know a lot of people who watch it, but like my family, my siblings and I and my wife and our kids haven't yet just because they might take inspiration from The Grinch. But um, I we just watch it every year. And of course you do. And it's one of my favorite things. Is that something people yeah, do? Oh, yeah. Oh, then that's a terrible answer. Yeah. And I apologize. I feel like I've ruined this segment in a, in a lot um, of ways. Yeah. Daniel, do you have a, a favorite uh, underrated Christmas I film? I do.
0: And it's one that's kind of mainstream, but everyone loves to trash. It's called The Wait For It. The Polar Express. Ow. I don't think I've ever seen it. Really? No. It's a, it's a animation. It's based off of like a kid's children's book. A kid's, <laughs> a kids children's book.
1: Uh-huh.
0: Um, and it's about this train that every year takes kids to visit Santa on Christmas Eve. is so that Tom Hanks? Tom Hanks plays... Tom Hanks! Tom Hanks plays all the characters. So <laughs> he, he plays the conductor. He plays the... The guy who like the kind of the homeless guy who lives under the train. He, he he's he plays a bunch of the people. Is he that's like the Nutty Professor then? Yeah, but the the whole idea right, behind it.
2: What's his name? Played all the characters in that
0: one. Mike Myers. Know what that is Like I don't even know. Mike Myers.
2: Is no, that no, no. no. it? he plays. No, it's really dating me though. The Nutty Professor. That's like. I don't
1: know, Who early, is
0: it? Early '90s stuff there.
1: Eddie Murphy. Is, I was gonna say Eddie Murphy, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. But it's the idea. I remember that
0: one of the oh. movies. The kid doesn't believe. Professor. He doesn't believe, and so his faith in Santa is on its last race and anyway, oh. he has this little bell then it doesn't ring and he, he is supposed to be like a jingle ball it doesn't ring and he goes on the train anyway and they finally make it to the North Pole and then he wishes something to Santa and all of a sudden when he's not about to believe like it goes ding 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 and he believes great movie oh, great soundtrack so everyone just loves to trash it because Tom Hanks is computer animated and it's a little bit dated uh-huh, and everyone yeah. says Tom Hanks's eyes look soulless <laughs> and he so probably, like, he's like I computer, can't watch this movie it's animation. too creepy <laughs> So, anyways, that's it's great. I computer love computer
1: animation looking soulless? Apparently. Say anyways,
0: so. no, I I love it. It's great. There's got a l- little bit of music. There's a scene where they uh there's hot chocolate. Hot chocolate and they're all tap dancing and it's great. Do you watch it every year? No. Okay. I probably I this year I saw 6 minutes of it on TV.
2: Yeah.
1: Okay. It's pretty special. But I wish I watched it every What's
0: year. What's the best scene you've ever seen in a movie?
2: I will leave that in, for the Christmas. You know what? We're going to leave yeah, that yeah, yeah. one for the Christmas for the parking
0: lot podcast. Parking yeah. lot podcast. So
2: just like in the previous years, we've sometimes there gets to be a little bit of a lineup in the in the um, in the parking lot after our Christmas Eve services, mm-hmm. and so we provide a ten minute podcast uh, where we discuss all things having to do with Christmas. So uh, you'll be able to do that again this year at the church. Uh, the we have flaggers though out on the street, so we put.
0: We'd probably be all right without it. Just without don't, don't,
1: it. don't go in the line and then stop there to listen to the whole no. podcast. So yeah. You can
0: listen to it on the way home. Pretty sure that's not going to happen. I hope not. But, Jeff, that was a great plug. Yeah, that's That it. was yeah. mastery. So you call a tease. It gentlemen. is. All right. Well, Jeff, um, we were talking about what is big in the world right now and what is monumental in everyone's lives besides Christmas. And you mentioned Star Wars. Ugh. Which we talked about last time.
2: We did, and we probably should issue a public apology for uh, for causing an affront to several people about about both the Lord of the Rings and uh, the Star Wars franchise. We did not know at the time that we were we were on sacred ground and uh, needed to take off our shoes, metaphorically speaking. That that by by.
1: Literarily uttering speaking, such com- yeah.
2: comments, we don't understand. Clearly, don't understand literature. We're basically dumb. Because uh, I I deliberately use the term foundlings instead of inklings. And yes, I know that they were the inklings, but at whatever. So in the end, we, Neanderthal. we do. Neanderthal. This is not. This <laughs> is not a. Uh, this is not a pol- an apology that is. Is uh, heartfelt <laughs> in any way. Uh, only because we're teasing, by the way, just so you know, just so we're all clear, we are absolutely teasing. Uh, I like a good Marvel film as much as anybody else mm-hmm. and that kind of thing. I will say this, though, in as on a serious note. I do find it a little odd that so many people are so interested in what, and, and, and by saying this, I'm referring to the, to the Star Wars films. Into what is basically a, a Buddhist story. Mm. And I, fi- I find this uh, a little bit odd that people want so desperately to defend a, a Buddhist uh, worldview franchise, especially Christian people who do that. Now, I'm not saying that you can't love the characters in the Star Wars stuff, but the constant need for some people to try to turn it into some sort of Christian film is a little, a little bit odd. Looking for the Christ figures and all these things uh, is a, is a little bit odd, uh, from my point of view. And it certainly does. Uh, it it was something I I wrote about my doctoral dissertation and is something that I I continue to struggle with a a little bit and how uncritically people are, are watching the film. Now, listen, that doesn't mean that I don't watch the films and don't appreciate them. I just think that like in all film, we should actually watch these things with some sort of critical lens and shouldn't necessarily adopt uh, the the viewpoints that the films themselves hold. So what so from... Go ahead. Well, I was going to bring up this this last film, for example, is a good example of it. The Last uh, Jedi. Yeah, so I don't want to give away any massive spoilers. I, have you seen it? I have. Okay. Uh, first of all, I was a little un- underwhelmed. And so I, I think that needs to be said out loud to people who How are sitting you? there thinking to themselves, do I... When I go to this movie, and I didn't want to go to the first weekend. Some people say I don't want to go the first weekend because oh, I don't want it to be, uh, you know, to fight the rush or whatever. I I think that there's an expectation that people have that these Star Wars movies are supposed to be amazing, and that without any questions,
0: we give them full ratings on Rotten Tomatoes well, or whatever. Visually, it is outstanding. You've
1: it's, seen it as well? Yeah. Okay, I I have Visually, it's yet.
0: phenomenal, but story-wise, I and mean, that's what you'll yeah, get into. I mean, so, Rotten Tomatoes, just yes. so you guys are aware. Uh, the critics are loving it, praising it like 94%. Crazy. Yeah. Of course they are. Audience review, 57%, yeah. wow. which is as bad as Attack of the Clones. They are shredding this.
2: Well, and the reason the audience don't like it very much, I think, is because there's a large section in the middle of it that is try, trying to delve into um, issues that are of the n- nature of reality, having to do with good and evil, and what people are like, and that sort of stuff. And they're, they, I think they go a little deeper than they need to, and I don't think a lot of people who are watching this, a lot of people who are going to go watch the Star Wars films, they actually want to watch... Uh, they want to watch the blasters and, and that sort of stuff, and they don't really want to get caught up into the particular worldview. And I think this one pushed the worldview a little bit, a lot more. Uh, and so when you watch the film, some of, some of those of you who are going to watch it, you'll, you'll I think, see what I mean, that there's they're trying to get involved in some level of philosophy, but the philosophy is sort of somewhat self-contradictory and mm-hmm. all sorts
0: of... Well, and they've been changing. It's, this one's actually a departure from what the philosophy's traditionally been.
2: Yes, it has, which it, it is, is leaving different. a lot of people frustrated. Yeah, hmm. but I, w- I was a little surprised at how much how how crazy everybody was for this particular particular one. I thought it started well and it ended well, but in the middle, hmm. eh, it kind of got a little bit a uh, little a little bit dry. Here's the thing that you should know about this film, though, before you attend it. There are twenty
0: to thirty minutes of commercials. It, the movie said it's starting at nine thirty. And it didn't start to 9.50, and it was all commercials. Why is that, Jonathan? Tell me That's why. That's a great question. Why?
1: I, I can't speak to that, because I, I didn't witness the commercials. Well, think about that, though. But that is fascinating, yeah.
2: So, we, we live in a world today, though, where most people DVR stuff, and so... If your favorite show on television, you never watch the commercials and you've, yeah. you never watch it live. Like, or when, you know what I mean? Like the time that it's broadcast, nobody yeah. watches the broadcast time. They skip through all the commercials. Mm-hmm. The only things that people actually watch the commercials on are u- usually live sporting events mm-hmm. or n-
0: five seconds
2: of a YouTube video. Right. But Ooh. not, not even uh, live sporting events. The entire event won't usually, cause the most people I know, if they're watching like, uh, Football game or uh, even soccer games and stuff like you 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 usually f- record it and then feel like oh I can fast forward this and catch up in the fourth quarter and so the only time that you actually if you're if you're a company and you want to market your product the only time that you're worth paying you uh, you think is worth paying for is that last quarter of football where people are actually hanging on it and then they cut away to to the commercial and then they come back because people are have caught up and stuff and they don't want to miss that particular that particular moment or another place where so what you're looking for is a place where, in the culture or society where people are sitting there and they have to watch your material
0: Mm. you've paid for a seat yes you don't want to lose your seat
2: and you're there early because you have there's a lot of anticipation Mm -hmm. and so so the movies in general are more of a bang for your buck for your Mm -hmm. advertising dollar but especially Star Wars because
0: people show up and want to get a seat and they're sitting there and they're captive audience and they're and they're entering into it trying to release their mind and they want to enter into Star Wars so they're not Thinking critically about commercials or anything, yeah. And then you know the commercials are just hitting you, and you're just an easy but, target. T- but seriously,
2: uh, twenty to thirty hmm. minutes of commercials. They just watching commercial after commercial not after commercial. No preview, just commercials. And I think this is a
1: travesty. Do you think what like don't don't you think they're kind of shooting themselves in the foot in a lot of ways, like long term? Well, it makes me if not want to attend the
2: attend it at a, a theater.
1: Yeah. Did I, it actually give you that feeling? Like when you were did. in it, were you like, there's more commercials? Like you noticed it during the commercials? Without a doubt. I felt yeah. sick.
2: I kept making, I, I actually was leaning oh. over to my wife saying, this is ridiculous. Let's you keep noticed count. it too, hey,
1: Markin? Mm-hmm. Ah, interesting. Very interesting.
2: So just be prepared if you go to the thing in the theater that it's going to be, but which of course lends most people, if you're like, you think to yourself, well, I don't want to waste that much time watching commercials. So you just yeah. wait for it to come out on your Netflix or whatever, or or so pay per view on for six bucks on your Telus or Shaw account.
0: Do you think then this is saying to our culture that we're less consumerist now and we're more about the experience, and so the <laughs> no. consumerist is trying to catch up? No, or I
2: think I think that people are going to struggle. I think that companies are going to struggle in the days to come, figuring and they already are figuring out how it is that they can they can sell their wares to us. Yeah. How, how can I advertise to people? And uh, I mean, print advertising is down, even on the internet. They're trying to figure out a way. A lot of companies are trying to figure out a way, like the New York Times or the Washington Post or the Globe and Mail or Vancouver Sun. They're trying to figure out how can we keep afloat and still pay our, still pay our people when, when, when the advertising revenues are so low, mm. right? And the only, it's based on page views and not that many people... Are looking at the page views. Yeah, yeah. and and you know network TV is going down big time and so they're having to charge less and less and less for their commercials yeah, yeah. and so I, it's it's the whole thing is about to be shook up I think at some level it's going to be a pay per use I think at some point
1: yeah it's interesting seeing how technology moves so fast and it, you see in in this example you see marketing strategies just trying to keep up like yeah. trying to figure out how to how to maintain. Their audience with the ever-changing, you know, use of, you know, your PVRs well, and we DVRs want it free, or whatever. free. So.
2: and that's the problem. We want it, yep. We want all this stuff free because we're used to getting it free on, you know, network TV or whatever. Yeah. And the way you, the way you know, the way you pay for it as a as a watcher yeah. of the of the of the show or the event is to say, look, I'll give you this amount of time for you to advertise to me so that yeah. I can get this thing for free. Yeah. The problem is the technology now exists for us not to have to pay that price. So how, uh, and the expectation mm. is that you still provide for me the the content, but you've got to do it in a way, uh, you know. So I I think nowadays, uh, product placement's a big deal, yeah, in films and and that sort of thing. Uh, and I know that in uh, like soccer, I know in soccer, international soccer, they the advertising boards yeah, are what are they huge. use. So digital advertising boards. So that yeah, during the game. Too. Yeah, numbers. it can rotate through. They do it in baseball a little bit more behind yeah. the home plate. They'll show a little screen that is constantly advertised. That sort of thing seems to be something that will probably happen in the days ahead. Yeah, yeah. But it is frustrating when you go and you pay your, what, 13 bucks
1: to be advertised to. For almost half an hour. Yeah. Mm. That's something.
0: Well, guys, we should talk a little bit of theology here. Jonathan, you mentioned that um, technology is speeding so quickly that people aren't able to keep up. We have also we mentioned that um, a lot of times worship songs are seem to be produced so much. And we were sitting around this table asking, what songs are we going to be singing You know, in the next 60 years? Are we mm. still going to be singing the old hymns? And what songs from our generation? Because there's ones that we'd say, well, this is old. It's 10 years old. We're not going to sing that again. And then can you comment on that and then talk about... When we, how that changes with Christmas carols, because it seems we still sing a lot of old Christmas carols. So, can I add a piece to the question? Yeah, add, a, add a piece, yeah. My my piece to my
2: my piece is that when I listen to the Christmas carols, I hear all sorts of biblical imagery being brought up uh, in the carols themselves. I would say that generally about hymns, but when I hear modern Christi- Christmas music or modern uh, modern songs in church, there's not a lot of biblical imagery. You have a little bit of it on like the Gettys, for example, or some others who are the Gettys are the people who in Christ alone, or mm-hmm. they, they utilize a lot of biblical imagery, but not, not a lot of the songs. I mean, Hillsong's not really using Hillsong or, um, I'm sorry, I don't know all the names of all the others, but there's all sorts of, yeah, stuff like they're, they're not really utilizing biblical imagery. So my question for you is first of all, why do you think the difference? Uh, and then secondly, well, like, what does that say about our Christian community? Cause you can tell a lot about the church by what they sing and what we yeah. believe these days. So what does that say about us?
1: Yeah. Uh, so to sum up the question, why do modern writers not use the same language that we've used to use kind of in, in previous generations? And biblical think, language. Yeah. Like the biblical language that you'd, yeah. You see in a lot of our older songs. I think the answer if I'm going to put a stab at it, is probably, I'm not necessarily
2: saying it's a bad thing. Though, so yeah, just yeah. Want no, to be clear. I think the
1: answer would probably. I think the stab I would take at it would be that that the heart of the modern writer is to find a way to contextualize that which is a 2,000 year old document to listeners today who may have a hard time relating to a lot of the imagery that was used. Um, So they're trying to find ways of taking the same ideas, the same gospel and saying it in ways that we can, that younger people or people of this era can understand. So using images that this era can understand. We were actually talking about this on a total aside. We were talking about because we have a small songwriting team and we're talking about um, different um, metaphors that are used in our songwriting, we feel like there's a lot of metaphors that are just constantly being brought back just because it's almost cliche now to bring these metaphors back. And we were just toying with the idea what what would happen if we flipped some of these metaphors on their head? Like we talk about, um, God revealed in nature, which is awesome. It's, we affirm this God is revealed in nature, but like none of us live in the country. Like we live in Abbotsford and we call ourselves the city in the country, but like we live in a city. So how is God revealed in a city? In a, like in a cityscape. Can we include cityscape language in our songs? Is that ir- irreverent? Do you know what I'm saying? I do know what you're like, saying. City people ha- you know, not well, It's not you totally sound, You true, seem but to be
2: saying that the people who are con- trying to contextualize, the, the turn to our contextualization in our songs isn't actually contextualizing it that much. That's using the same images over and over again to contextualize. Well, yeah, and
1: I think the heart of the songwriter is to find ways to do that. And I don't think we do it well because we talked about this already. Technology's changing. Our, our, our world is always changing. Like it would seem silly to include, um, a reference to like Snapchat in one of our songs, because we know in five years that's going to be like, Oh my goodness, why are we singing about that? So we don't include that, but like bringing in ideas that, and, and, and concepts that people really understand, like, so that, but that okay, So that's kind of my question to you though, or my, the, the,
2: not issue that I have, Mm -hmm. but I'm just wondering is that, look, when you use biblical image, the songs are by definition going to last because the Bible Bible itself has lasted and it will last.
1: And I think that brings me to the second reason why the songwriters don't write that way. And it's far more negative. I just don't think it markets well. I think if you have a a songwriter who's going to write a song, if he writes, if he writes a song, like what you see in like O come, O come, Emmanuel! I don't think it sells like this. Like O come, O come, um, like O branch of Jesse's stem. Like, could you imagine that coming out in, the new in some a new song? People s- be like, "What it is?" Okay, so that? Okay, I have,
2: I have, I have some education, right? Right. Biblical education, and so I know what he's referring. Right, but not to, everybody. The promise of not the Old does, right? Testament, and the, uh, especially in uh, Isaiah, that a root totally f- yeah. of Jesse will come. Jesse, meaning the the father of uh, of David. Yeah.
1: And like, and, and this is the thing, like it, it requires a biblical literacy yes. in its audience, which we don't have. Okay. So mm. chicken and egg then. Is it, yeah. Do we
2: not have the biblical literacy cause we don't ever sing about it or That's, do we never sing about it because we don't have the biblical literacy that
1: is the question of our industry of the worship industry. I, I, I don't think people know. I think, I think there are some people who are trying, there's some um, songwriters who are trying to write songs that will grow people in their theology. And their understanding of God, and it doesn't sell. And if it doesn't sell, you can't make a living doing that. So then you end up selling out to the system and okay, writing so maybe about that, but maybe my the, maybe feelings. Maybe which that's everyone a, can relate to their feelings, but right? maybe
2: that's a problem with the industry. Then yes, do you know what I mean? Yes like so and if amen. The, if the point is that we're trying to sell, we we want people people who are writing songs are trying to make a living at it. So I, I look back, at guys like Charles Wesley or Isaac Watts, or these are yep. people who wrote these hymns. You know. Uh, Fanny Crosby, the the famous hymn writers from ages gone by. I I don't think that they were supported in fact their their hymns are public domain
1: yes well they are now but yeah but i don't think that they were
2: were they selling i don't know enough about it but were they selling their hymns back in the day so that they, they could make money license. off of
1: it i'm sure they would have had some sort of I mean, license they on didn't it, have
2: christian radio no they didn't CCLI, at that time or yeah, like that. think oh well this is going to hit this this yeah. i'm the chris tomlin song is going to hit really big in yeah. churches and i'm going to get a cut well, of every time they pay it they play it
1: Yeah. And the truth, the truth is, this is why I really like, so we have a little songwriting team that we have at Northview and we're, we're the cool thing I think that we have is we we're not in it for the money. We don't plan on making a penny. Clearly (laughs) we're not, no, we don't don't care about the money. We don't really care. All we care about is the edification of our church. Mm. So we, we have the, we have the freedom that a lot of artists who do this for profit, we have the freedom that they don't have. We are not tied to what sells. We are tied to what grows. So we have a lot of freedom to try to write songs that maybe maybe are more faithful to the biblical idea and and find creative ways to make them contextual mm-hmm. to where we are today. Yeah, and it's I'd-
0: amazing too, because with songs, you always remember the melody and that's, that's what true. makes it you can you can yep. rip off a melody from a song yeah like the common person could sing oh come oh come come, Emmanuel because they know that yep. in in infectious melody yeah just to get stuck in their head and it's it's eerie and you and you're like I need to keep singing this yep and so that's the advantage with when you put good theology in a well melodied and mm-hmm. well written song yeah people are are constantly meditating and thinking and, and Talking oh, through yeah. good theology at the same which time shapes yeah, you,
1: which I totally affirm. At the same time, it requires a biblical literacy, right? Yeah. And and at, my hope is that by singing these songs, people ask the questions, "What does that mean?" and and find out what it means, right? So like I I've been leading worship since I was I don't know probably like fifteen. And I'm not gonna lie to you. I would have liked to have been there for that fifth, first 15
2: year old worship oh, experience. Oh,
1: oh, <laughs> oh <laughs> no, I, I still sound like that. I, you. I'm pretty sure I still sound like that. Was it Chris, um, was it a Christmas?
2: When was the no. first worship leading
1: oh. endeavor that you ever had? Come on, Is that my my small church. Yeah,
2: yeah. It was what Growing did you out, do?
1: I... Led
2: worship. Did you did you bring the guitar?
1: Yeah, that's all I. No, you okay, can't. Truthfully, I I was a hack. I still am a hack. Here's a Bono but song. I was like, I can play a G, and I can play a C, and I can play a D, and I know how to use a capo. That's basically yeah, all so. Christian music, though. Well, it's right? true. It's true. You know, E minor. Um, e uh, minor. What? Well, I tried to. I just. Uh, you no, know, I just passed by that one. Was oh, so
2: did a lot of camp songs in that first go round. Then anybody? Hey, I
1: don't remember. Point no. is, you guys are to- distracting me. Mm. Point is, when I was 15, and I sung these songs. I was completely ignorant of what I was singing when I sang "O Come, o Come o Emmanuel." I didn't understand what I was singing. They were just the songs. Well, we no,
2: the people don't,
1: and that's what I mean. And, and again, I, I,
2: the this is why it's interesting to me. I, first, first of all, I should say that I, I am not actually advocating that we only use biblical imagery in songs. Okay, sure. I'm, I, I don't believe that. I think that uh, all truth is God's truth, and the whole world is God's. Mm-hmm. So I think that we can see in God's common grace, we can see all sorts of images that speak of God and, and these sorts of things. I do, I do find it. Uh, I do find biblical language though conspicuously absent from a lot of modern worship music, yeah. and you know, even around Christmas. I, there's a song I was telling you the other day that there's a Hillsong Christmas song that we're going to be singing this Christmas Eve, which yeah. I really like. It's really awesome. the, the 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 rhythm is great. The, Melody. Song yep. the melody is fantastic. It's really good. the The lyrics are repetitive and very simple. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I, I, I compare that though to O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, or, uh, yep. um, what's the one I've been listening to lately? Oh, uh, Holy Night by Mariah Carey. Should, no, no, that's not true. Um, <laughs> <laughs> See amid the winter's snow. Oh, you like oh, that one, right? Yeah. Um. I and I think that, th- but there's a there's a poetic brilliance in those and a, a biblically um, biblical picture beauty. I don't know how to say that, but you yeah, know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. To, to them. And, and I love, I love listening to that. And that's my thing. It's 50 years, hundred years from now, mm. we'll still be singing those songs that are rooted in the scriptures. Whereas the other ones, I don't, I don't think we will. And maybe yep. that's just a function of music that it's just something that we do for the now. And we just kind of discard those songs as they go yeah. along, I just, I, I just wonder if we're missing sometimes an opportunity and to help train our people to think biblically about things and to use the language of scripture to help yeah. reinforce, because the older I've gotten, and this is my thing, in the older I've gotten, and the more I know about the Bible, the more I see these Christmas songs and I think, oh my goodness, yeah, that look at that image. And yeah. if you, if you read through the kind of a lot of the Christmas texts, you can see how these, these writers are, are, are just using all of this. Come, come Thou Long Expected Jesus yeah. was basically what my sermon have has been about the last couple of weeks. Yep. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. It's so like you just need to sing this. And it's like a summary of everything I'm trying to say because yep. I'm reading the same passage of Scripture and preaching it while they're singing it. Yep. And I feel like that's something I
1: would like the church to have more of. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what I also I, being rooted in in the biblical language doesn't necessarily in and of itself give a song timelessness. There's a, there's a beautiful pairing between the theology and the lyric and also the melody and it's, and it's catchiness and, and the songs that last have both, right? Cause there's a thousands of hymns that were written that we don't know anymore. No, that's right. That were yeah, totally we, rooted yeah, in yeah, biblical yeah, the theology. The in yeah. some and some you, of them were yeah. just for whatever reason, musically didn't make, but, but songs like even even non Christmas carols like "Be Thou My Vision," everybody knows that one. Uh. Why? It had the beautiful pairing of a lyric that was awe striking with a melody that was awe striking, and once you have that, you, then you have a song that's timeless. Like, so I love to like see Williams' like first Christmas. Like wham, No, not like. Wham. Okay, quick da, rapid fire round here. Rapid fire. Da, um, da, da, favorite da, da.
0: hymn. Classic
1: hymn.
0: just go quick, rapid fire round. I don't know favorite classic hymn. I don't. Jonathan, worship pastor. I don't have one. Of I love any, them all are equally. You Chris, Christmas? <laughs> no, just any hymn. Any hymn. I love them all equally. Oh, be that. My vision is my yeah. favorite. Be that my vision. There's no question about that. Um, I love crown him with many crowns. Oh, that's you good do one. like that one. Do you yeah. like the? Uh, I love the wordplay,
2: but do you, th- there's a version of that song? No, that's a different song. Uh, my seminary anthem was. Uh, they called it the diadem. Oh, interesting. Uh, where angels' prostrates fall. Wait a minute. Prostrate. <laughs> prostrate. No, that's right, right? Prostrate. prostrate. Angels' prostrate. 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 No, okay, I love prostrate. them. I love them. Um, <laughs> but see, this is a good example. I love this song, right? But the, the song that said, Prostates. let angels' prostrate fall. Yeah. It sounds too Gee. close to prostate in the <laughs> modern world. You're like, oh my goodness, right?
0: Yeah, totally. Um, Dude, but the lyric, crown him the lord of years, the potentate of time, you do like creator that. of the rolling spheres, ineffably sublime. See, that's beautiful. It really is. It's beautiful. It's totally out of the reach mm-hmm.
2: of people who, who don't, like even their vocabulary yeah. doesn't It does I don't even know what sublime that. means yeah. other, other than uh, Gordon
0: Ramsay yells it out. Yeah. That scallops were
1: sublime. In- ineffably, <laughs> yeah. What is?
2: Yeah,
0: I think it's without error.
2: Yeah, but it sounds like swearing. It sounds like without effort. To words. people now. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Ineffably. Yeah. Well, guys, I want to hit one more topic here. <laughs> so, the <laughs> closure on that, though, the closure yeah. is that I, I think that uh, there is a beauty to Christmas music, to hymns in general, that are that is something that I think that that you could you can find in what you've said. This mixture between melody and, and content and trying to find that. I yeah. just think there should be perhaps more biblical imagery in a lot of a lot of our songs and it would probably be helpful to us to, to help reinforce the the importance of how God's revealed himself in his word.
1: Yep. Agreed. Agreed. And a challenge to anyone who writes songs who likes to write songs, my challenge to you would be find find ways to say the Bible in t- an today ineffably sublime in an way. Ineffably sublime way. Exactly. No, would say it in a, in a way that's not cliche, but also okay, okay. not also not so new Here, that it's like.
2: Here's one that's not cliche or so new. Here I raise my Ebenezer. Hither by thy help I'm come.
1: Yeah, you like that one, don't you?
2: I do. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been raising Ebenezers all <laughs> over the place. You've been raising rocks of help all over <laughs> <No>. the place. <laughs> See that's a funny thing nobody know. knows, and people hear that and they're like, mm. Scrooge, rock help what?
0: Yeah, Good stuff, of. man. Good times, guys. Like I said, I had one more topic I wanted to hit. Okay, one more. Here it is, and here it is. What are, what's the balance between bad theology and heresy?
1: <laughs> like, what's the balance? Do, we, do like, we need to find a balance between those? Two? Yeah, we do. We need to have. Do, I mean, on our, in ourselves, so I bring this
0: up all the time in our,
2: in uh, both on the podcast and a lot of meetings I'm in the first Corinthians three talks about, uh, you know, building in ways. So, so teachers not building in line with the foundation and those teachers will be saved as yet through fire. So it means that they are saved people, but what they're building with and what's meant in that context is doctrine. What they're building with is doctrines that don't, uh, don't fall in line with what's the truth of, of the gospel, meaning that it's not, they're not gospel issues. The foundation they believe the foundation about Jesus Christ, but they get other parts of the biblical story, biblical images, all that kind of stuff wrong. So it is possible for you to be a saved person who's teaching bad theology. Right yep. in this passage, what's interesting about the context of that passage in First Corinthians three is Paul's basically trying to argue with the Corinthian church who's privileged one teacher over another. You know, I have Paul, I have Apollos, I have Peter, whatever. And he's kind of arguing there, look, God is going to judge, you know, we're all on the same team and God is going to judge us for how we teach. So in a sense, he's kind of telling the Corinthians, hey, you don't need to, you don't need to pit us against each other, right? We are responsible to God for this. And so I guess, there's part of me that wants to say, well, okay, so that's probably should be our attitude toward a lot of this stuff. Um, you know, Paul said in another place, and you know, as long as the gospel is preached, it, I don't think he celebrates bad theology or bad motive, at least in that context in Philippians 1. Like I, I he, he, he's basically saying, look, I, I think that is, you know, the, the, as long as the gospel is there, as long as the foundation is there, we can celebrate that. Doesn't mean that all the other stuff is not going to hurt people. Of course it is but it's not heresy. So the language of heresy is something that I would reserve for somebody who's denying the foundation about Jesus. I was Jesus. just going
1: to say, can you define what heresy is in contrast to bad theology? That's,
2: I tried to there, and my definition is, there is the distinction between just so, somebody who's got the foundation right about Jesus but is teaching something incorrect about him, or, sorry, incorrect about the scriptures or incorrect uh, about some other matter that's bad theology. Okay, what's heresy? Then? I think heresy is bad. It is getting the foundation wrong. So when you do something that is, that is, uh, deny of, Jesus is God. Right. So like things, things are actually going to skew the foundation. Mm. So the, the question, so I'm willing to apply that standard to lots of things. So the, right. the prosperity thought people call it heresy. Um, we can debate about whether or not that's heresy right. or just bad theology. Uh, it's, it certainly is one of them. So really the question point. of a Christian, then, both
1: the question of a Christian is is this is this teaching just different than what is traditionally accepted, or is it foundation shaking? Is that what is that kind of what you are saying? Right. So if you end up messing
2: around with the character of Christ, if you end up uh, messing around with the Trinity, if you end up like um, messing around with uh, things that are true about the gospel itself is where I think issues regarding the atonement or even judgment get into it because these are all parts of the gospel uh, story. The, the, the big idea that Jesus came to save us from the wrath of God by becoming our substitute, not only by the way, our substitute, he also defeats the powers. These are all their views of the atonement. So it's more than just our substitute, but at least our substitute Hmm. so that we might be preserved from God's wrath Uh, because God solved the very problem that was created by us and that God had against us. Mm. So I I think that story and that he's going to, uh, you know, renew his entire world. When you start messing around with that story, yeah. So baptism and modes of baptism to me are not messing around with that story. I think that you can have bad views of baptism. I think that issues related, related to whether women should be elders of churches or not. I think you're going to, some people are, someone's right and someone's wrong about that. But I don't think that has to do with the, I wouldn't say someone's a heretic for that viewpoint. I, I I don't agree with some people on those views and they don't, they don't agree with me, but I think we are brothers and sisters in Christ. I might even say that their theology is bad at that, but I'm willing to say that, Hmm. but I don't, um, yeah, I don't want to call him a heretic.
0: So when it talks about preachers being judged more heavily for mm-hmm. their work and by God, right? by God. <laughs> so you have the preacher who was faithful in all of everything he said. And then you have the preacher who's basically just known for his bad theology, but gets in because he believes upon the name. Well, he of Jesus. doesn't
2: think that it's bad theology. He doesn't
0: think it's bad, but his whole life, he goes doing this the whole yeah. time. He gets to heaven. He gets the same lot as the other preacher, preacher A, even though all his work is burned up. I think that um, I, I think that preacher A
2: is that the preacher A the one that was being faithful. Yes, yeah. I think that there seems in Scripture to be the the promise of reward for the first preacher. So I, I don't know what that means. Like I don't know what what that you know what he's here he's going to get for that. But I I'm saying that there seems to be a promise of reward, especially in First Corinthians three, that they you know. Will receive a reward. So, what do you do with that? But the other ones will lo- lose the reward. That seems to be the idea. Now, I don't think that that passage has it has application to every Christian. I think that mm. so I, the rewards doctrine stuff, I think has in the scriptures in First Corinthians and other places where it speaks about this sort of thing. I think that uh, it's referring to, uh, to to Christian leaders and how they lead. So they have the possibility of reward. Or does, greater judgment.
1: Does, just firing off of the top of my head here. Listening to you say that, does that give the idea though that there's like a, a tiered, Christian or a tiered? No. Well, yeah.
2: The, the, I mean, the reward, the rewards doctrine in general has historically done that. But I'm what I'm trying to make sense of is okay. So here, in context, this passage in First Corinthians three is dealing with apostles Paul, Apollos, and those who actually follow in their footsteps with who have the responsibility of bringing a bringing the doctrinal charge and content to the church. So who, like, who is that? That's a pastors these days. Um, probably elders would fall into that category. Um, so this passage in 1 Corinthians 3 promises reward. Uh, what I'm saying is that, yes, I think that there is, for those who are involved in that work, there is a sense that they will be rewarded. I, like I said, I don't know what that means. Does that mean they're really going to get a house on the hill? I don't know. I have no idea what that means. Um, but I don't, I don't believe that there's a lot of warrant in the Bible to extend that rewards doctrine beyond just those leaders. Cause I just don't, I don't have the textual, but you know what I mean by textual basis? Yep. I don't actually have passages of scripture that in, read in their context, argue that way. The passages people bring up to me to say, no, 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 everybody gets rewards, you know, and there are varying levels of reward Your in heaven. And I'm, that, that I'm that. saying that those passages don't teach that. Mm-hmm that those passages talk about the reward of heaven, right? Or the reward of the crown of righteousness, which is righteousness, crown of life, which the crown, which is life, mm-hmm. right? Yep. So, I mean, revelation, uh, two and three, the letters to the churches. If you, if you, um, if you, you know, stand to the end, you will receive what the reward it's the reward in yep. <laughs> that it, it's life itself. And so I think that for general in general senses, that's what's happening. In those places, we preached a sermon this last year, I think in Matthew 20, that's basically about that, where the the guys come at the end of the Jesus high, or Jesus tells a story about the people guys who hire different people at different times of the day, and at the end of the day, they all get the same thing. I think Mm -hmm. that's generally the idea in terms of discipleship. But there seems to be something said about about, uh, Christian leaders who are charged with the doctrinal care of the church receiving
0: some kind of reward. Hmm. Well, thanks for that. And I think we have arrived at the end. The train has stopped. It is stopped. Merry, you know what? Daniel, Merry Christmas. Dan, you brought in the turtles today. I just want to
2: thank you for.
1: Yeah, I don't have any left.
2: A few turtles, which are not made the turtle, the. Uh, we're not talking about literal turtles that you brought
0: in. We're talking about the chocolate
1: turtles. We're talking about Which chocolate turtles? By the way, turtles. we
0: discussed. Mm, I love turtles. I don't know if I've ever gone and bought turtles in my life. They just always have been given to me. Who gives them to you? I right, just random people this one was just random particular- people they just walk up to you and hang
2: you t- and you hand you these little chocolate
0: yeah, turtles. yeah hey I listen to the to the yeah. extra podcast It's, it's, it's the a worldwide ha- podcast that everyone listens to. And- it's the hair. <laughs> I bet mean, they see your hair and they think here's some turtles that help grow the hair Well this has been an excellent program. We will <laughs> see you next week.